Geek Bill Radio. For all your noise and bluster, you're just a, a silly little girl with no one around to protect her. Hello once again, other boys and girls, geeks and geekettes. This is Seth, a.k.a. Zandrax, the mayor of Geekville and the host of Geekville Radio. Coming at you with another episode. We got three big subjects that we're going to talk about. As you heard in the opening stinger there, we're going to talk Birds of Prey and what happened, what we think happened, because the movie, while I wouldn't call it a bomb, it certainly underperformed uh, compared to expectations. We're going to talk the Batman test footage that leaked, and then we're going to wind it up with some amazing talent added to the upcoming Netflix Masters of the Universe series being put on by Kevin Smith. And fortunately, this time around, I don't have to do it alone. Rejoining the airwaves of Geekville Radio from the nice soft padded cell and the nice asylum in South Kakalaki, Crazy Train Jonathan Bullock. All aboard, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, just three topics, but I think we'll fill up uh, the next hour or so if you're listening, and we hope you enjoy it and learn a little something, and away we go. And just for the record, we do have a member of the studio audience. Uh, Shadow Cat is actually peering over my shoulder here, the cat at home. So hearing all this talk of birds uh, might kind of send her mind going the wrong way, so hopefully nothing bad will happen because she is a trained killer. You might want to classic clarify to our listeners that's this is he does not have an actual X Man in, right, right. in his recording studio. He has his cat, which he right. just happened to name Shadow Cat. <laughs> right, I thought exactly. we might get some people really excited, going, "Wow, he, they have real X Men. These guys really know what they're talking about." <laughs> no, Kitty Pride is not in my bedroom. So, no. Oh well, one one can hope, one can wish. <laughs> For opening weekend. Birds of Prey opened to $33 million, which is, of course, nothing to sneeze at, but Warner Brothers was expecting more of a 50 to $60 million opening. And what I did do a review of Birds of Prey last week. I didn't really speculate on it because, quite frankly, I didn't want to do it by myself because this is a type of thing that we, we might have similar opinions on this, but... I think we might also have different ideas because I'd seen all the excuses under the sun as far as why it didn't perform as well. And first off, for those that didn't listen to my review last week, I liked the movie. I mean, it it, it wasn't the best comic book movie, but compared to stuff like the uh, Holly Berry Catwoman movie and, you know, the Shaq Steel movie and stuff like that, I mean, it was still poetry. And I always grade comic movies on a curve like that because I have to put it up against stuff I've seen before. And I'm not saying everybody has to do that. It's just the way I do it. So I can't really say it was a bad movie, but there were uh, blames going from everything from it being R-rated to the title being long, which the title being long, I can actually kind of see. And people trying to say that maybe moviegoers didn't know that Harley Quinn was in it. And that's why they renamed it to Harley Quinn Birds of Prey. And I'm like, and this is where I'll throw to you, Train, but I, I find that difficult to believe because Harley Quinn was front and center on every advertisement, every trailer, every poster, just about every type of merchandise you saw about the movie had Harley Quinn on it. So I can't see how people didn't think that Harley was in it. Yeah, I, w- I would have to agree with that. I mean, that you'd have to be... Uh, first off, full full transparency, ladies and gentlemen, I have not seen the movie. I do intend to see it. 
Now, whether I'll see it in the theater or wait for it to come to streaming or, or whatever, uh, of course, our regular listeners know I'm a huge Batman fan, which kind of by default makes me a Harley Quinn fan. Um, so, yeah, I will see it. So I can't speak on whether it was good or bad, but I can talk to about excuses on why movies underperform. Uh, I'm call me negative, call me an old curmudgeon, but I'm one of those, you know, if ifs and buts were fruits and nuts, we'd all get Christmas. We all get candy for Christmas kind of guys. Mm-hmm. So, look, I'm gonna I'm gonna analogize this to the wrestling world since uh, you know I do that a lot because it's it's a, a important part of my life and it was my career, my first career, how I earned money. Um, you might want to get out of the way of that truck that's following you, though. <laughs> I'm not outside, so that oh, was okay. a really big one. Yeah, it, it's <laughs> raining here in South Kakalaki, so I'm not enjoying the porch. So, wow, yeah, but. Uh, Anyway, still could be coming to get me. <laughs> I don't know. Um, you know, once back, I'm on. You know, the analogy I'll make on wrestling about Birds of Prey in particular, but overall on expectations for things. Uh, when it comes to entertainment, Dave Meltzer, the you know the the quintessential wrestling journalist that you know all hardcore wrestling fans know. He's uh, he's had probably the oldest continuous running wrestling newsletter, independent newsletter of any of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, one of the guys that really, really uh, the term we would use in wrestling was smarten him up to the wrestling business. And I say the business side, not the wrestling side was uh, the legendary promoter in the city of Houston, Texas for years, Paul Bosch, who was one of the most well-respected and well-known wrestling promoters in the, in the territorial days before Vince McMahon took everything national in the eighties. And Paul told him one time, you're going to hear from promoters all the time when they have bad attendance or a bad gate at a house, they didn't book it right, or they had the wrong mix of guys on, on, on the card and this, and they, you hear a million excuses. What all boils down to is it's all bunk. You didn't give them what they wanted to see compared to everything else. Cause you'll hear, Oh, it's, you know, him being a Texas guy, You'd hear a lot of other Texas promoters talk about, oh, well, it didn't draw because it's Friday night on the fall. And, of course, high school football is huge in Texas. Well, you know, it's huge all in the South. That didn't stop the Dukes of Hazards from becoming huge rating draw on Friday nights in the South. You know, so his point's valid there that in the entertainment world, you can go with all excuses you want. doesn't matter. Sometimes it's just not what the audience wants to see. Mm-hmm. And now what they want to see that's kind of your job as a producer of, of um, entertainment to kind of you know know what the zeitgeist is and, and 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 hit upon it. Sometimes George Lucas Star Wars, the guys who made Blair Witch, you know, were you have a game changer that comes along, and people didn't know they wanted that, and then they get it, and it becomes a phenomenon. Um, that's why I think you see so many reboots and and remakes in Hollywood is because Hollywood wants to play it safe. And so they want to go what what sold before, um, and 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 maybe it isn't the movie's fault. Maybe right now, and it, there's a, could be a million reasons for this. It's the time of year, um, you come around after the holidays, people don't have a lot of expendable cash, whatever. There could be a lot of reasons why people just didn't want to see this movie at this time. That plays into the fact that there's a lot of movies that bomb at the box office and go on to become cult classics. We talk about a lot of those here on this very podcast. Mm-hmm. A lot of the movies that did not do well uh, at the box office go on because a certain segment of of, of the community, often geeks, 
uh, glom onto. I'm a huge Rocky Horror Picture Show fan. I used to be a regular at the Midnight Showings here when I was in high school. That, is there is there a better example of a cult classic that bombed at the box office but became to be a, a phenomenon that you can think of? I can't think of one. I mean, there's other lesser examples in the 90s, like Hudson Hawk and Last Action Hero, starring Bruce Willis and Schwarzenegger, respectively. Uh, here's, here's, a, here's a great one from the 80s that I know you like. Action Jackson. Mm-hmm. I heard Snoop Dogg say, Action Jackson's the greatest movie of all time. How it simultaneously was genius and a piece of at the same time. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. and, and that's a good way to describe that movie, isn't it? It's, it, yeah. it, it's it, it, and, and so... I'm not saying this about this movie. I don't know because, like I said, I haven't seen it yet. But I do think that for whatever, right now, in the year of our Lord, 2020, mid-February of that year, people weren't ready to see this movie for whatever reason. And so you can hear all the excuses you want. They don't really matter, which brings me to my second point, and then I'll shut up so you can respond to this. Um, you've all already brought up the fact that this is – it's not that it's doing bad. It's just underperforming for what Warner Brothers expected. Mm-hmm. I think as, as, as the cost of move, producing a movie raises higher and higher, we're going to hear more and more of this because the studios are going to get more and more upset about what they perceive as a lack of return on their investment. We live in a post-Avatar, post-Endgame world where two movies in the last you know, 15 years did those kind of numbers. And I don't know if that's actually fair to movies. One of the reasons I think why Endgame worked so well is because it was marketed as – the ending or the climax to 10 years worth of films. Right. So right. it had that, that buildup to it. This was pushed as essentially being a spinoff of mm-hmm. Suicide Squad. And now right. I do think it was trying to market to the Deadpool audience. And I'm not saying that is a bad thing. I'm just saying I think that's why they went right. with the R rating. They were trying to appeal to that uh, over-the-top uh, action comedy crowd. Mm-hmm. But I don't think the R rating is the issue, especially since I was hearing the, uh, and I really hate to say it because it's going to sound like I'm getting political, even though I'm not. It's the tired old, somehow it's men's fault. And I'm like, if you want to try to blame young men or even teenage boys, the movie is rated R, which means you're, by definition, not marketing it to teenage boys. And the, the majority of moviegoers, I think it was a... uh Rotten Tomatoes article, or might have even been a variety, at least due to poll, 54% of the moviegoers were men. So men were clearly going to see the movie because, uh, again, I might ruffle some feathers, but I still think the comic book genre as a whole does tend to lean towards a male audience. Now, there are Mm -hmm. more, there are more females getting into comics, and that's a great thing. And especially in the, in the, uh, the movie side of things, you know, there, I, I know several women who like seeing, the Marvel movies and such, but I think it, it goes back to what you're saying. It's like it's trying to come up with an excuse for not making the movie look as good as you probably should have. And I would even say this, and we may disagree on this, and if we disagree on it, it's fine. I don't think, at least in this stage, that Harley Quinn is necessarily a big enough character to carry her own movie. She still might better be as part of the ensemble cast, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. If you look at the television, let's go to television first, because that's originally where she was created, of course, was for, for the animated series. She was always seen as a sidekick to the Joker. Joker was the main thing, you know? And as her popularity grew and her popularity became so popular in that, that you know, the decision was made by DC to create her in comic form as well. 
she always was seen as a sidekick for the first few years of her comics run. And then she became, it was always team ups, her and poison Ivy being the first that I can remember, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and this is an ensemble. This was an ensemble piece. So they're contradicting themselves because, you know, for you to say that didn't work because Harley's, the, the, trying to carry it, but yet you're saying it's also an ensemble movie too. So I, it seems like it, it doesn't know what it is. You follow mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Okay, yeah. Which may have been part of the confusion. Exactly. And so if if I'm seeing that, and I'm saying that I haven't even seen it yet, I could see to the, the casual audience it could be the same thing. They thought they were going to see a Harley movie, and they went to see they saw an ensemble piece. So I, I don't know. I, I but I do agree with you in the sense that I'm not sure if Harley is. It works best as though, again, I say the same thing about Black Widow, and I just get this feeling that that movie is going to do gangbusters when it comes out here in a few months, you know, which would go back to what we said before about, you know, the Marvel movies building up this track record. And she has been a character that has been around essentially since the second movie, you know, Iron Man 2 was when she was introduced. Right. So finally her getting to step out on her own, I think it's very possible that the movie is going to do well. I also think that from what we've seen, we won't know till it comes out. It looks like it's going to be an ensemble team up time too, with Red Guardian and whoever these other characters are, you know. And I'm sure there's a few uh, cameos that are probably kept under wraps. Of course, that's Marvel's good at that. And unfortunately, I think Warner Brothers is the most guilty of this—not the viewing audience, but the, the studio itself—of trying to compare it to Marvel stuff, and that's comparing apples to oranges. Right. You know, in my opinion, because just looking at not success of both these these shared universes aside, just look at the the number of films in each one of them and the and and the amount of time they've been around. You've only had a handful of DCEU movies, you know, and only two of them have been successes: Aquaman and Wonder Woman. The rest have been polarizing to say the best. And there's only what four more: you know, Suicide Squad, Man of Steel. Batman v Superman, Justice League four, mm-hmm. you know, so you throw this one in and then the two that did good, that's seven movies that that's, have been around that's two years of Marvel movies, you know, right? Exactly. Seven movies. And when did the man of steel come out? I can't remember. 2013. I want to say maybe 2014. Right. But it was well after Iron Man and phase one was underway. Right. So you've got a six, you've got seven movies in six years as opposed compared to now with the last movie being far from home 11 years and 20, 22 20 yeah 22 23 movies maybe right big difference so i i think you're comparing apples to oranges and mm-hmm. unfortunately like i said i think the most guilty of doing that is warner brothers themselves you know um so it it's it, it is what it is and, and as far as the the i would also argue too about uh two things you said if it's r rated it's not being marketed to to you know to teenagers as a moviegoer who cut his teeth on the slasher movies of the 1980s as a teenager i would argue that point (laughs) (laughs) because though all those movies were r-rated and you know the hardcore horror geeks like me lament the the wave of pg-13 horror movies that have been around for about what 10 15 years now right uh because we all grew up on r-rated you know friday the 13th nightmare on elm street that stuff and they they can sit there and say all they want we didn't market them bullcrap they were marketed to high schools. You know they were. You grew up in the eighties. You know that's true too. You know we all had mm-hmm. those friends. If it wasn't one of us that would know all about those movies and all the kills and all the boobs you see and all that, you know. 
Either they had cool parents that took them. They they looked older than they were. They didn't get carded when they when they bought a movie ticket. They had an older sibling that would take something, right? Right. So yeah, it, it is. So that's the first argument. And the second argument I make is uh, to say you're not you're not marketing this to men. Then why in the hell do you have Margot Robbie as your lead? She's one of the prettiest women in Hollywood right now. Are you kidding me? She's gorgeous and a body that won't quit. And you can call me sexist all you want. I'm ready for the tweets. Art, right, come at me. It, it is what it is. Right. You know. I'm not saying she's a bad actress. I'm not saying that that's all she gets on, gets by on is her looks. It's not. She is a good actress, but that is definitely part of her appeal. She's a very attractive woman. And there are other straight women that will probably agree with you on that. Yes. And there are others that were in the cast of this movie that are pretty attractive women, too. So to say men did it, how? Right. <laughs> I think you're right. Once again, it's a tired, it's a tired argument. I'm not trying to be political. I go back to what Paul Bosch told Dave Meltzer. You can come up with all the excuses you want. At the end of the day, you didn't give the audience what they wanted to see compared to everything else out there, period. Right. That's something. Now, there was something that I noticed because I'd, I'd said that there were a lot of good fight sequences in it. Mm-hmm. And I scratched my head when I saw the movie because Harley would do that kind of spin flipping kick thing like Stephen Amell would do in Arrow. And it's like, I don't recall Harley ever being this accomplished hand to hand fighter. Now, granted, I don't know as much about DC, and I said this during my review, I don't know as much about DC as, as you do. So, I mean, is there mm-hmm. a, a record of Harley being a hand-to-hand fighter? Yes. Well, okay. Yes. She has always been portrayed in video games um, and now in live action and in the comics as a fairly competent hand-to-hand combatant. Not where she could go toe-to-toe with Batman. Right. You know? But certainly against the common thug or cop or something oh, like that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Easily overpower them and has, has held her own with both Tim Drake and Damian Wayne Robbins. So what does that tell you? Okay. Remember, Damian Wayne was trained by the, by the League of Assassins and Bruce Wayne. That's pretty stout training when it comes to hand-to-hand fighting, right? Doesn't get much better. But earlier, I discussed earlier just a little while ago how she was mostly in team-ups after they separated her from Joker in the comics. And it was mostly with Poison Ivy. My memory may not be served. I need to go back to my DC online and look at these old issues, and I will. And if I do, we'll mention it in the next episode, or I'll have Seth put something on the website about it. I do believe in one of those early Poison Poison Ivy Harley stories, she was um, genetically enhanced somehow. Maybe it had to do something with with Ivy's plant-based stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So she has a a bit of a heightened sense of like agility and, and reaction time and things like that. Along the lines of like a Steve Rogers, Captain America, that level, which would make her, you know, obviously a better hand to hand combatant. Well, it's a small spoiler, but there is a scene in the movie where she clearly takes a sniff of Coke and then all of a sudden goes postal on a, a bunch of Iron Mask thugs. So there you go. <laughs> Are you sure it's Coke and it's not like some crystallized form of, of venom? <laughs> I don't know. It, it certainly looked like it was meant to be Coke, but but you'll know the scene when when you see it. Okay, yeah. I just assumed that was why she carried that oversized mallet or hammer around, but you did actually mm-hmm. trigger when you were talking about her mm-hmm. uh, hand-to-hand fighting. Uh, I remember seeing the world's finest uh, animated crossover. It was the first of the Batman animated series in the 90s where Batman finally met Superman. And Joker and Lex are, of course, the respective villains in their scheming. So you have Mark Hamill talking to Clancy Brown, which is... Uh, an awesome conversation Amazing. itself, yeah. <laughs> but what's played for comedy is you have Joker's girl, Harley, and Lex's girl, Mercy. They're just going at it 
tooth and nail and you know they're like almost like tom and jerry going and chasing each other around each getting the big weapon as they smash back and forth and they eventually fight to a double down so when joker and lex are done talking they turn and you know both their gals are down <laughs> so they're like because they, they're not completely not paying attention as they as they verbally argue with one another <laughs> right and, and i cannot remember if this was retconned in through the arkham series video games or if or the comics because it's not ever mentioned in her origins within the Batman the Animated Series. But it is retconned in, or maybe it wasn't even, I don't know if you call it a retcon, maybe it was just delving into character development. Uh, Harleen Quinzel, which of course is Har- Harley's real name, you know, uh, she went to college to become the psychiatrist that she becomes on a gymnastic scholarship. So she was already oh, an actor, okay. gifted athlete. Okay. Yeah, that wasn't touched at all in the movie. Right, right. I'm sure they wouldn't. That's 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 one of those deep cuts that you got to be a hardcore comic guy to know, you know. Right. But I, I can't remember if it was on a scholarship or she was just on the gymnastics team. But she was a gymnast in at the college collegiate level. So that's like one step below the Olympics. So that in and of itself should tell you what kind of naturally gifted athlete she is. You know, unlike the Joker, the Joker, depending on who was riding him at the time, has been depicted as a complete wimp to a p- fairly competent hand to hand combatant. You know. That cannot be said of Harley. Harley has always been presented in the comics as somewhat of a, of a competent hand-to-hand combatant to from very competent to like world-class could go toe-to-toe with Batman and Captain America, though they, she would eventually lose, you know. But the agility with which she fights and which she's always been portrayed in every media format, the fact that she's a gymnast, I think that plays into that. So it makes a little more sense now. Okay, yeah. Well, one other criticism that I think is valid for the movie from a storytelling standpoint, and maybe there's mm-hmm. a cover for it, but uh, all this gang warfare, you know, the, the, the chemical plant blows up and there's all these other attacks. The movie does take place in Gotham and it's like, okay, where's mm-hmm. Batman? You know, why would this not raise his attention? But maybe there'll be an explanation for that in a future movie. I don't know. My, my two explanations would be this. It could be not, not knowing that the, the, the time with which this is supposed to take place. This could be why Bruce is very preoccupied with Diana trying to form the Justice League. Mm-hmm. Or it's pretty much, you know, you see it in Batman v Superman. You see it in Justice League, which is the same universe. Remember that, ladies and gentlemen. Yep. The Ben Affleck Batman is old and tired. Remember, he came out of retirement in Batman v Superman to fight Superman. Right. Maybe, maybe he went back into retirement. But you're, and, and since they have not introduced any Nightwing slash Robin character yet, I think they're going to at some point, by the way. That's why I say yet. Um, there's nobody like that even around to, to, to deal with this, you know? So that would be what I would say. If I was writing these scripts and I had somebody say, hey, you got a plot hole here, buddy, you know, like some Instagram or Twitter question from a fan, that would be my response. But, you know, that's me. They're plausible, aren't they? Yeah, 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 I think so. One other thing, and this is one of those that can might be written off as it's just a movie, but uh, Huntress, you know, her her last name is what, uh, Bertelli or or something like that. It's like, yeah. Not Bertinelli. I'm I'm thinking Eddie Van Halen's ex. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. uh, uh, Helena Bertolini. Yeah, very Italian name, so you'd kind of yeah. expect her to have an Italian yeah, accent. Her, her dad's a mafioso, so what do you, and I mean a true mafioso. Right, but then that just you can just kind of throw that in the same category as Jean Luc Picard is supposed to be French, but yet he has a British accent. But right, I, I mean, <laughs> on top of that, I mean, in today's day and age. This isn't a Martin Scorsese movie. If you want to see a Martin Scorsese <laughs> comic movie, go see Joker. You know, <laughs> so I mean, 
this isn't casino. This isn't what wise guys or why? You no, know, you know, that that uh, the one about the Lufthansa heist, Leota, and, and but you get my point. I mean, this is not his movie, so. Yeah, we're used to seeing The Godfather with, you know, these thick Italian accents for the mafiosos. You don't necessarily see that so much. I would nowadays and and I would make the argument here that I had to make to you in defending Jared Leto's portrayal of the Joker that because you don't see that that much anymore if you are shooting for a younger demographic, you're going to put things in that they're going to understand, thus Joker having a grill and and, and ink for a, a career criminal makes sense to the younger audience, even if it doesn't to you in your forties now, you know, mm-hmm. uh, having, having an Italian, the daughter of an Italian mafioso speak with an Italian accent like that, make the young crowd go, what <laughs> same type thing. But I, right. one thing I wanted to add, when you played that stinger at the beginning, this is kind of off topic, but you McGregor falls in that category of Paul Blackthorne that sometimes he does such a good American accent. Sometimes I forget he's British. Oh yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. And it was like so weird because I can't remember the last movie I saw him in before the Star Wars, before the prequels. But he was playing an American. Then, I, then like when I saw him as Obi Wan, I was like, "Oh yeah, I forgot he's British." <laughs> was it Goodfellas <laughs> that you were thinking of for the the Pesci? Goodfellas. Yeah, that's okay, it. I yeah. cannot believe it. To me, you know, I, a lot of people say Godfather's not only the greatest gangster movie ever made, but the greatest movie ever made. Mm-hmm. Goodfellas is my favorite. I can't really like forgot the the title of it. You know, uh, but. And it's based on a true story. Mm-hmm. I think there's also an argument for the Untouchables, by the way, which is a different take. It's about the law taking down the mafia, but you know, it's got Sean Connery, so you know, right? A Scotsman playing an Irishman—that was odd, well, but I don't. Yeah. Well, well, there you go. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back. We're going to talk another aspect of the DC extended universe, and that's the leaked Batman suit footage. And we'll of course have that linked in the show notes at geekvilleradio.com slash 254. This is Geekville Radio, and we'll be right back. Are you looking for a gaming-themed podcast? Then check out You Just Got Fragged. Join host Jared Aubrey and his panel of gaming enthusiasts as they discuss news and accomplishments in the gaming world, and, of course, the gripe of the week. That's all at youjustgotfragged.com, part of the Wrestling Brethren podcast family. All right, we are back, and we are talking the leaked footage. It's kind of called a teaser or a trailer or whatever. I mean, it's, it's called leaked footage, but I think we have our doubts as to whether it was actually accidentally leaked or more like leaked on purpose. But everybody's probably seen it by now because there's a ton of theories on it, and that's the kind of test footage of the Batman suit for Robert Pattinson's take as Batman. I'm assuming it's actually Pattinson in the suit. That's my understanding. Yeah. But as as far as leaked footage go, remember we got leaked footage of Joe Bagdiello in in the Slade Wilson Deathstroke costume, and then we finally did see it in the in the stinger of uh, Batman v Superman. And now that Zack Snyder's gone, we probably are never going to see that. <laughs> <laughs> or Justice League, I'm sorry, it was Justice League stinger. Right. We're probably never going to see that, which is sad because I think he looked great in, in in the suit, and I think he'd be good in the role. But I digress. Right. Well, we, we also got the same type thing in uh in a case where it didn't happen. Uh, remember we got Jason Momoa in the, I think it was just when he took himself. I don't think it was a, a test for studio execs, but remember he was, they were, there was rumor that he was going to be playing the Eric Draven crow character in the remake of the crow mm-hmm. and they, it leaked the footage of him and the crow makeup. Do you remember that? 
Uh, not offhand, but uh, I, he probably would have been a good pick for that. But he's it was big. like 2017, 2018, and now he's stepped away from the project. But he's not the first actor. That uh, I don't want to get into that. All I say is Brandon Lee nailed it. Don't remake that movie. That's a, that is a great cult classic. Talking about a movie that underperformed at the box office and became a cult classic. There's another great yeah, example. There, there's another. No, it one, did. Yeah. It did do. It did do better at the box office, I think, than the studio expected. But it, it wasn't. It wasn't a hundred million dollar movie by any stretch of the imagination. Right. So what we've seen is, of course, Robert Pattinson stepping out. You basically just get a good look at the bat signal uh, on on his chest. And I was hearing people, you know, comparing the music that plays in the background, you know, as it sounds like the Imperial March. And when I hear that, it's like, well, yeah, it kind of naturally does because it's in a minor key. And actually, if you were to speed that up so it goes, you'd have just about every Britney Spears song ever made. Well, there was that one chordal progression that is part of the motif riff of the of the Imperial March. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, it sounds it sounds like it's yeah, what is that cool? It's like it like it like it's an A drop down, and then it, it drops down to like I want to say a C sharp. Yeah, it's definitely minor. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, we're also music geeks too, guys. If we didn't mention that, <laughs> but um, yeah, I I don't think it's who knows where they got the music from. I mean, maybe well, my, like, my understanding they, is that it, it was actually composed by uh, the uh, I, I can never pronounce his last name, but uh, like Michael G- Giacano or something like that. I I sorry for butchering the name, but it was the same guy that did the music for I think it was Rogue One. He's kind of becoming the new Hans Zimmer, and that he's doing a lot of the comic book movies now. I thought, yeah, because I was thinking, didn't Jerry Goldsmith do some of the the stuff for like Man of Steel or something? Because I think that's usually who who, who sacks the. I know Junkie XL did the the Wonder Woman stuff. I think Hans, I might have been Hans Zimmer, but uh, I know that Jerry Goldsmith passed a few years ago. So right, uh, right. although he fits into that category of just about anything he sco- he scored was was very good. He's no John Williams, but he ain't bad. Is that what you're saying? Right, right. <laughs> There's just those. I mean, they're just those go-to guys for that sweeping, epic kind of soundtrack and score in Hollywood. And the guys mm-hmm. were mentioned: Hans Zimmer, Philip Glass, I think, is in that list. John Williams, Jerry mm-hmm. Goldsmith was when he was alive. You know, yeah. Alan Silvestri. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Alan Silvestri is another one, and Danny Elfman. For, for to be honest, you know, a lot of people, depending on how old you are, you associate Danny Elfman either with musical scores or Ongo Boingo. He is always going to be Oingo Boingo's leader to me. <laughs> right. I'm a child of the 80s, so what can right. I say, right? He's always going to be dead, dead man's party from, yeah. from what do we get at Bernie's. <laughs> Michael Giacchino, I believe, is how you pronounce uh, oh. that, that name. Okay. But what did you think of the suit when you first saw it? I was fine with it. I mean, now, granted, I would say that you probably have to purposely try to design a bad costume for me to not like it because one Magnifals? of the things – well. Yeah, well, that's that's <laughs> stupid in its own right, but I think it is very believable that Batman would have several different suits depending on the situation. You know, right. he might have some that are armored, some that might not be as armored, but will allow him to swing around better. Right. And yeah, he would probably have a super suit on par with something Tony Stark would have. It's just it's just who Batman is. So we've already seen that in this universe because he has the armored suit he wears to battle Superman and Batman V Superman. And then he has the regular one that was obviously inspired by the dark Knight returns that Affleck wore in like uh, justice league. Mm-hmm. What a lot of people seem to be focusing on is that bat signal that, you know, that in, in the chest there, because it looks mm-hmm. like it's 
detachable. I just assumed it was going to be like a Batarang or something, but somebody pointed out how in a recent Kevin Smith story, Batman took the gun that killed his parents and like melted it down into a bat symbol that he then puts into the suit. So maybe it's an homage to that. I don't know. I mean, you were saying that it looked like a lot of stuff you saw in the Arkham games, right? Right, right. I mean, you could, we could do an entire one-hour podcast where you just showed up and let me talk for an hour <laughs> about the, about the history of of the bat the the bat uh, symbol on the bat suit from its introduction, you know, back in the '30s to where we are now. Um, most people know one of two. They know the one that's like all black, you know. But the one when we were kids, from the the gray and blue costume that he wore in the seventies run in the comics, to the more all black, which really didn't exist until the Michael Keaton Batman, and it still incorporated this aspect from the seventies comics, was the yellow behind it. The reason behind that was it was meant to draw fire, gunfire, because the chest part of his armor is the most protected. So, in the last Arkham game, Arkham Knight. Lucius Fox and Bruce have developed a new triweave Kevlar lined armor slash bat suit that is not that dissimilar from some of the body armor that our soldiers wear today, where it's sectional. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you can do things like move. You know, <laughs> right? Exactly for ease of move. Remember, there's there's that whole thing in the Nolan Dark Knight trilogy where you know he where where Christian Bale's Batman tells. Morgan Freeman's Lucius Fox. So yeah, I'd like to kind of make it easier to turn my head back out the Batmobile. You know, <laughs> yeah, it protects my neck, but I can't move my head. Which jokingly is one of the best parts of the Michael Keaton portrayal of Batman that's so heavily lauded is how he moved his head, and it was very you know stoic. The reason was because the suit they had him, and he couldn't turn his neck. You know, <laughs> so that's why whenever you watch the Michael Keaton Batman movies, the two that he did. When he when he looks, he does that Jason where he turns his whole upper body instead of his neck. It's because he mm-hmm. couldn't turn his neck. And that's a testament to his acting, I would think. He was able to turn that into something believable. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Very, very physical. Using your physicality to act as opposed to just your words. But we both have praised Michael Keaton many times on this podcast. So, yeah, it does look similar to that. Um, I like the first time you start out with in, in, in that game with the suit from the last game, which would have been Arkham City. And soon into the game, you upgrade to that suit. And it, Lucius drops it off with the Batwing on a rooftop and you go suit up and you put it on. And when you put it on, there's a cut scene where you even see the the separate parts like, you know, fold over each other and, and become one to become the suit. And um, that the graphics are so good in that game. When you get the close-ups of Batman doing takedowns and in combat, you can see the parts moving on the armor, like like they're working together, you know. So I, I think that's where that came from. Uh, what it caught me the most, I found intriguing, and it was hard to tell because of the way it was lit. It was very it was very dark and backlit, which is fitting for Batman. The, uh, it seemed like he almost had like a snap collar on on the back of his cape where it connected to the cowl. Did you notice that? Yeah, it looked like there was almost kind of like a zipper type thing for easy thing. It looked like it maybe uh, uh, zipped the cape together or something like that. Right. Well, the th- thing I saw it from was uh, the Gotham by Gaslight was what it what it reminded me of, which was a DC Elseworlds standalone title that came out in the 80s that I absolutely loved. Uh, and they did an animated version of it once about what, three years ago that came out? Sounds, sounds about right. So- sounds about right, yeah. So, I mean, if you like me and you have the DC online, I know it's I know it's available to, to stream on that. 
Um, but this, it's an alternate story where a few years after the Jack the Ripper murders end in Whitechapel, Jack the Ripper comes to that era's Gotham. And in that era, Commissioner Gordon, Bruce Wayne, Batman, they all live. And so the, the, the Batman outfit that he wears looks very much like what you would see as clothes in, you know, late Victorian big city like Gotham. And so he has more of an overcoat similar to that, to that overcoat that like Sherlock, Sherlock Holmes wears, you know, in the cut, not in the material Mm -hmm. where it kind of has like the, the separate piece that goes over the shoulders, you know, uh, very similar to that. And it has a long popped up collar on it. That's what it looked like to me. One thing I always found fascinating about that take on Batman, besides it's Batman versus Jack the Ripper, that writes itself, doesn't it? Um, is that instead of using batarangs, he used throwing knives, but he used them non-lethally because he's still Batman, right? But mm-hmm. um, yeah, so so that was that that, and also another thing I noticed, it seemed like the nose piece was very protruding and pointed instead of being sculpted to his nose. But that's you gotta remember this is this is early test footage. They could tweak a lot of this stuff before. It, we see the final film. Yeah, and uh, his cowls, a lot of the time, they kind of had that point to him. I think the whole idea was to give it maybe more of a beak look. I mean, I know bats don't have beaks, but, you know. But uh, but once again, if you, if you, like I said, we could do a whole hour where I just talked about the history of the bat. I could do three hours on the history of the bat suit, you know, mm-hmm. and all its evolution through all these forms of media. The bat suit has always evolved, not only in color, but in what it was made of and what it had and things like that. I mean, you know, when he when when Batman first came out, it was essentially he was just wearing a leotard, you know, like 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 circus performers would wear. And it was in the 50s when writers and editorial decision was made that we need to give him some kind of body armor because higher caliber weapons exist now and criminals have them and he's fighting criminals. And that that became just the norm by the 70s in the comics that Batman had had some form of Kevlar or body armor on. Because he's not, he doesn't have any powers. He's not Superman. He can't stop bullets. Right. Do you think criminals care? No. So, um, you have said here on the podcast and off mic to me, you saw the picture of Robin Pat or Robert Robert Pattinson in the suit, and you're like, well, I don't know about Batman. He he's going to make a good Bruce Wayne. Now that you've seen him in the bat suit, what do you think? He's going to is he going to at least look like the Batman to you? It looks just fine to me. I mean, I do think it's one of those things. Like I've said about Superman. When you cast Superman, you're casting Clark Kent. And when you're casting Batman, I think more so you're casting Bruce Wayne. Because even if it's only right. for a few scenes, you have to show him in his Bruce Wayne persona. Right. And when we've, we we always agreed, like we've talked about all the different actors that have played live-action Batman, that, I mean, Val Kilmer looked fine in the suit, but he probably was the best-looking of the, the Bruce Waynes mm-hmm. in that era, of the, him between him, Clooney, and Michael Keaton. You know, He just looked more like Bruce Wayne. Then, not that I think Michael Keaton was bad. I think Michael Keaton was a better Batman than Val Kilmer, but right. Michael Keaton just did not look. And, and part of that is, up to that point, Michael Keaton was a comedic actor to me, you know, mm-hmm. outside of Pacific Heights, which is what I always refer to. If you want to see a true heel, uh, villainous Michael Keaton, go watch that movie because he's creepy as hell in it. Right. And that was coming off his role of, of Batman. That's the movie he did right after. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm thinking Night Shift. You know, that mm-hmm. this this is the Michael Keaton that and Mr. Mom, you know, this is this is the Michael Keaton. So seeing him in a suit trying to pull off the rich playboy was hard for me to buy. Uh, I, I think nothing. again. I don't think Michael Keaton's an ugly man. He just says he's much like Tom Hanks is a very everyman look, you know, right. except for those creepy ass spiked 
eyebrows he has, which <laughs> looked good in the cow and enhanced that, you know. And even Bob Kane himself has said that that he really uh, you know, wholeheartedly approved of Michael Keaton being cast in that Batman movie because mm-hmm. it, in Bob Kane's mind, you know, the guy that actually created the idea of Batman, in his mind, he always thought Bruce Wayne was an average looking guy because that way he could blend into a crowd when he's not being Batman. Exactly. See, and, and, and I know opinions vary. Like, I thought Christian Bale looked better as Bruce Wayne than he did as Batman. It's, some of that mm-hmm. was, I just was not, I'm not that big a fan of the suit that they gave him in, in The Dark Knight, you know? But to each his own. Whereas, as far as pulling off looking good as Batman and as Bruce Wayne, I hate to say it, Ben Affleck's probably done the best. Yeah, I, I could see that. And like we've talked about before, one of the reasons... Ben Affleck was cast was because Zack Snyder wanted a Batman that was physically bigger than Superman. Right. Because, uh, you know, in the comics, that's not, they're portrayed from a stature standpoint about the same size. Right. You know, if you go to the official DC encyclopedia, yes, I have one because I'm that big of a nerd. That's why I co-host Geekville Radio. Um, I think they list Bruce Wayne as 6'2", 210 pounds. Bullcrap. Bruce Wayne is not 210. I can buy him at 6'2". I can't buy him at 210. He's about 230-240. He's a linebacker. He's not <laughs> He's not a safety. I'm 210, and I'm pretty sure he's depicted as being bigger than me. <laughs> so, <laughs> but Bruce, Bruce Wayne is jacked, okay? <laughs> Which is probably why I liked Ben Affleck the best, because of, of all the guys we listed, I mean, Ben Affleck's not a small guy. You know, he looks like he could have played linebacker at a college, you know, at mm-hmm. the college level. Whereas Michael Keaton, Christian Bale, they're just average-sized guys. If anything, they played baseball or tennis. Right. right? I mean, they, they don't they don't look like they're out of shape. They just don't, they don't they're not they're not barrel chested, broad shouldered. They didn't hit the gym very much, is what you're saying, right? This is like you said earlier. This is test footage, which is all part of pre production when they're doing costuming. Have they started production yet? Like actual shoot on this movie, or I believe they have started shooting. Yeah, because it's due okay. to come out. Uh, I think May next year. So we probably will be getting our first teaser trailer. What summer? Probably. I'll be interested. I am such a Batman fan. I will go see all Batman movies when they come out, and we can all agree they've they've had varying degrees of quality. Mm-hmm. Um, As I keep saying, uh, you know, the, for the Joel Schumacher movies, you know, Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, it's like once you go into the movie realizing that he was inspired by the Adam West TV show and not the comic, mm-hmm. it it, mm-hmm. it becomes a lot easier to watch that movie without getting the urge to gouge out your eyes with a, with a rusty pitchfork. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I'm actually very hopeful. I, I, I stated earlier when we first talked about Robert Pattinson being announced, though, I'm not a fan of twilight. Obviously I'm not going to hold that against the guy who's a young actor who took a job and it, mm-hmm. and it made him a name. So I think he's got acting chops. I'm, I'm hopeful. Uh, I mean, I'll prepare for the worst. I'll be honest with you. And, and, and outside of the Michael Keaton stuff, I think when Ben Affleck was playing Bruce Wayne, not necessarily Batman, but when he was playing Bruce Wayne and the one-on-ones he was having with the Jeremy Irons Alfred in Batman v Superman, that's some of the best live-action Batman I've seen of any of them. Yeah. And I, if Pattinson can bring some of that to it, which I think he can, I think it's going to be a good movie. Yeah, one, one of the best quotes from that is when he said, if there's even a 1% chance of this, we have to be ready for that. Right. That's such a Bruce Wayne thing to say. And he says it with such sincerity and conviction. That's exactly the way Bruce would say something like that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I, I'm hopeful. Are you hopeful for the movie or you don't know yet? I've been building up 
hope in the DC universe because I think while they could have done better, I think they have noticed that they've made some mistakes and they're trying to organize because, I mean, Jeff Johns, you know, a legit A-lister when it comes to comic, comic book writing, book. yeah, he is overseeing a lot of the TV and movie stuff happening. So that's the type of stuff that gives me confidence that they know where they need to improve on. They're getting somebody who understands comics to be one of the producers of the movies. Right. Let's be honest here. They needed a Kevin Feige. And that's what right. they hoped when they, when they, because Jeff Johns was already working for DC. Right. It was kind of a no brainer where he was concerned. And right. you're right. I think the whole DC thing has been a whole lot of start stop. Hasn't it? As a, as a fan, at least, especially. Yeah, there's been some good stuff, and there's been some eye-rolling stuff. I mean, Aquaman I liked. Obviously, Wonder Woman was very well-received. And it's like Justice League could have been better, but it certainly wasn't bad. I think we discussed that pretty well when we reviewed it. Is I think the problem with Justice League is you got what you got. You got what happens when you have two different directors and their visions on what a movie should be. And when you right. Frankenstein those together, guess what you get? Justice League. All right, we're going to take another quick break here. And when we move on, we're going to wind up with talking the he-man voice cast for netflix this is geekville radio and we will be right back attention all time lords and ladies geekville radio presents examining the doctor a weekly look at everybody's favorite time lord the doctor join mark and seth as they bring their signature blend of knowledge and humor to favorite and not so favorite episodes of doctor who from Hartnell to Capaldi, Examining the Doctor provides episode commentaries for classic and current Doctor Who fans alike. Examining the Doctor, available on iTunes, Stitcher, and at GeekGoRadio.com. All right, we're back. And uh, while I got the chance to make the obligatory weekly Doctor Who reference, Mark and myself recently completed commentary for The Woman Who Fell to Earth, which is Jodie Whittaker's first Doctor Who story. She's, of course, the, the female doctor that took over the role about two years ago. We talk her entries and what we liked, what we didn't like, but it's all meant to be done while you watch the movie. So Seth is now personally admitting, ladies and gentlemen, that he needs to update that spot you just heard. It's no longer Hartnell to Capaldi. It's Hartnell, it's Hartnell to Whitaker. Whitaker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, I poke fun at him every chance I get with that. So you guys don't have to. <laughs> Right. I'll, I'll 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 take that burden and put it on my shoulders for you. <laughs> Especially since the episode has not only been working on, it's out. <laughs> it's out now. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, He-Man. Now, I know there's a little bit of age difference between us, not too much. But, I mean, did you follow He-Man much as a kid? I was always more of a straight sci-fi guy. Right. But just everybody I knew loved He-Man. So I just kind of... Uh, learned by osmosis. I did watch some of the cartoons. I mean, it, it, there there was definitely some fun in that, and I'll get to one of my favorite characters after we go through this list here. But d how much knowledge do you recall of He-Man when you were a kid? Uh, I, of course, I saw the, the live-action movie, um, <laughs> you know, with Dolph Lundgren, and the great post-credit stinger set up for a sequel that we never got, which mm -hmm. sucked. And uh, I've always been a Meg Foster fan. She has not aged well. She was in Jeepers Creepers 3, but back in that era as Evil Lynn and from They Live, she was smoking hot and beautiful blue eyes. Uh, as far as the cartoon goes, once again, it's much like Transformers, Thundercats, G.I. Joe. That is the, 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 the small age difference between us is when you got that and I didn't. Okay. I had discovered I had discovered the weight room, football, 
cars and girls. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my getting out of the toy slash animated stuff would have started about, would have ended about the time of Return of the Jedi. 83-ish. Okay. Yeah, which was a year or two before He-Man started, so there you go. Right, right, and that, that is also when I got heavily into pro wrestling. I was watching it, but not like, you know, my wrestling fandom literally started with Starcade, the first Starcade, you know, so <laughs> there you go. Which, again, right timeline. <laughs> right, but you also have to remember, I did have younger cousins that were, you know, like your age, four or five years younger than me. So I did have a working knowledge not a, an in-depth knowledge, but a working knowledge of things like He-Man, Transformers, G.I. Joe, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, mm-hmm. which as a comic book guy who got heavily into comic book collecting in high school, that was a, that was in my in, in my pull bag was the old black and white, no color, very adult uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And I'd read that and then I'd see my cousins dress up, you know, as as the, the animated version mm-hmm, for Halloween. Yes. I'm like, and it made me want to just vomit, you know, I'm like that's oh, not yeah. Michelangelo and Raphael Leonardo. Are you kidding me? I, I had the issue for the longest time where Shredder finally came back in the black and white comics and it ended with Leonardo beheading him and cremating the body. That was yes. the type of Teenage Ninja Turtles we watched. You <laughs> were red. Right, right, exactly. And I still to this day, uh, one of my five favorite things I think in all of comic book geekdom is the fact that they didn't have the rights to it, but they made the, the chemical spill that blinded Matt Murdock as a boy be the same <laughs> chemical spill yes. that turned the turtles into the turtles. That, that to me is just awesome, but I digress. We're going to be talking about He-Man, not Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah, back, back to He-Man, although there's probably going to be some crossover here with some of the... There is some crossover, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. It's all, it's all geek. Now, I'm pretty sure you had the same reaction I did, because the first name announced as connected to this Kevin Smith written and produced He-Man. Now, first off, I should say, this He-Man, because there's two He-Man series in the works for, for Netflix... Kevin Smith is doing this one that's called Revelation, and it is supposed to be a direct sequel to that 80s cartoon, and it's supposed to be done in a 2D style, so it's, I can't say for sure if it's going to look like it, but it's going to be a direct sequel to that cartoon. And wasn't the the He-Man that came out, that was probably the last flash in the pan uh, for Filmation as as a true animation house, wasn't it? Right, right. And something worth mentioning about Filmation, because Lou Scheimer... I don't know if it's Shimer or Shimer, but he produced that, and he also produced the Flash Gordon series, which we did for a lesser-known Geek Hall of Fame. We covered Flash Gordon and touched on that series. Mm-hmm. It was also common for Lou to do voices in those series and not take credit. Like, he was the narrator for Flash Gordon that would introduce right. all the episodes. And He wasn't in, Orko, was he? That's exactly where I was going. He was Orko. So Wow. Now, mm-hmm. if I remember right, once again, I'm not. I, I wasn't a human. Orko was not a toy. He actually was created for the TV show, right? There may have been a toy, but he might not have come. He might not have been released as a toy until after the series. But he was definitely front and center in the series. You know, he was the Jar Jar Binks of the series. Whether you, if you like Jar Jar or hate Jar Jar, kind of the same thing. Yeah, that was that was like I said. I have I have a working knowledge. The few times I I did watch it with my cousins, I remember Orko. Yeah, and I just thought. Why has this guy got a big O on his <laughs> it's on his shirt? <laughs> but anyway, I digress. <laughs> yeah, when plus Orco's main thing was to give that uh, child's tip of the day, you know, don't you know, don't right. swim in shark infested waters type type thing. Yeah, I remember there was one one of the episodes I watched. Of course, I'm 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 a you know probably fourteen fifteen year old kid 
discovering my own sexuality and this whole thing was about you ever felt like you had something trapped inside of you and you're just trying to get it out i'm going well this is awful homoerotic for for a seven-year-old but i digress again (laughs) one more thing about the original series where we get to the cast i mean there has actually been a highlight reel i'm sure you can find it on youtube that kind of pokes fun (laughs) at the accidental uh type thing we were talking about where it's he-Man and Man-at-Arms both rising up from below like they were laying down. They both rise mm-hmm. up, and then He-Man looks at uh, Man-at-Arms and says, uh, are you okay, too, or something like that. So <laughs> in the wrong context, especially since, you know, He-Man was always shirtless. <laughs> you know, so. right. Yeah, I think even Prince Adam ran around with a shirt on once every <laughs> once in a while, didn't he? Man, this is a, I'm serious. I look back at that, and of course, I'm, I'm the one who's always complaining about uh, us as adults trying to put uh, adult tropes on Scooby-Doo when it was mm-hmm. really made for kids. I put all these homoerotic ones on He-Man. It was, it was, it was just made for kids. I'm, <laughs> right. being, I'm being a jerk. You know, I know it, ladies and gentlemen. But it was so obvious to me that this was meant for kids. Would you, when you name the captain of your army man at arms, mm-hmm. like, wow, that's original. <laughs> but anyway and so many other characters they j- would just emphasize a noun and then put the or after it right i mean like like evil lynn wow mm-hmm. is she a good guy or a bad guy <laughs> right but getting back to the 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 voice caster i i think you had the same reaction i did and really just about all my geek brethren did because the first name to be announced was mark hamill and i think you can guess the first name that i thought it was like He's Skeletor, isn't he? I mean, that, that was probably the same thing you thought, right? Oh, yeah. When you had told me this a couple of days ago before when we were doing some pre, you know, pre-prepping for the show, you said, uh, Mark Hamill, I think my response was, if they didn't cast him as Skeletor, then somebody needs to be fired. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, come on. <laughs> Although the only other guy that I would have accepted as Skeletor we'll get to in a minute. But yeah, Mark Hamill is, is Skeletor. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, and we talked about this off mic. As white meat baby face as he was as Luke Luke Skywalker, for the most part, Mark Hamill's pl- at least in voice acting, especially, he's always played a bad guy. Almost always, yeah. Other than Wing Commander, I mean, not just with Joker. I mean, he's been Hobgoblin. He's been uh, Claw, I think, in uh-huh. Uh-huh. For, for the Avengers cartoon. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he was Wolverine in one of the games. So, so there's mm-hmm. another good guy role at least. As far as bad guy roles, he's kind of a bad guy in The Kingsman. That mm-hmm. that cameo he has at the beginning when he when he tries to save him and he gets killed anyways. Of course, he played Trickster in the Arrowverse. The only other one that I can think of where he was actually a good guy outside of Luke Luke Skywalker, and it's actually a dual role. Uh, was and we've discussed this before off mic. There was a short lived showtime series in the late 80s called body bags that was produced by john carpenter and it was you know a, a, an anthology twilight zone-ish kind of show right mm-hmm. and he had all kinds of you know like john landis and toby hooper and other you know the big a-list horror directors of that era directing episodes there was an episode and i think this one was um I'm trying to remember, it was, it was a well-known director. I'm trying to remember who it was that directed this one but it's 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 tropes been done before he plays a professional baseball player Who's like a you know a, a, a perennial all-star power hitter who loses his eye in a, in a car accident and then gets this experimental eye transplant so he can continue his baseball career and he the, the eye happens to be from a serial killer whose body parts were harvested after he was executed 
And then the evil eye starts to take him over. And he, you know, that's where the duality of the role comes in. He's doing these terrible crimes and violent, but he doesn't remember it because the, the eye is taking him over. Anyway, that's the only time I can really think of him as a live action good guy. Wing Commander, that, and Star Wars. But anyway, I digress. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's there's other examples. But uh, Lena Headey, I hope I'm saying that right. Maybe it was Headey, but best known for Game of Thrones. She's going mm-hmm. to be Evil Lynn. Chris Wood, who is Mon-El in Supergirl, uh, he's going right. to be He-Man and Prince Adam. Yeah, he's got the voice for it. Yeah, Sarah Michelle Gellar is Tila. That's one of those she could probably play at live action, too. Oh, heck yeah. Liam Cunningham as Man-at-Arms. What would I know him from? Uh, let me take a look to the wiki, Robin, because I, I know the name sounds... He's, he's, he's number three of the Liams because he's not Liam Neeson. And he's not Liam Hemsworth. So. <laughs> right. Okay. He, oh, he was, he's probably also best known for Game of Thrones. Okay. But I mean, that's about one out of every five actors in Hollywood nowadays. That should, <laughs> it seems, seems that cast. way, yeah. <laughs> I mean, when they kill off the entire cast at the, in a season finale and have to reboot it the next season, it's likely they're going to have hire a lot of actors. <laughs> right. What well, a name I think you're going to recognize uh, Stephen Root as Cringer. Love Stephen Root. There is such a diversified actor, you know? He plays that. What's the what's the character's name from Office Space? You know the one that they that it was the the original cartoon was about. The, you know the one that winds up burning down the office at the end because they stole his sling. He plays that crazy weird dirty guy. Like in Justify, the TV show, he plays this great judge called uh, Reared in the Hammer. You know he's like the tough judge who, who's an old wild. He's supposed to be Roy, Judge Roy Bean. He wears nothing underneath his robes but his socks, his shoes, his speedo, and a gun. <laughs> <laughs> and so you can kind of get the idea what that character's like. And then I've seen him play like really serious role. He was the man in the high castle in the Amazon Prime Man in the High Castle series. So he can play very serious and very comedic roles. I love Stephen Root. I think right. he's a highly underrated actor. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to say. He plays the man in the high castle. Now he's he's one of the heels in that, right? No, that man in the high castle is the good guy. Okay. He's the one that's figured out about that there's multiple dimensions and he's getting films from other dimensions and, and spreading them around to the resistance to show the people in that reality that there are other realities where the Nazis didn't win. Okay. Either way, good guy, bad guy. Like you said, very serious movie, but then you know he's Milton in office space and then he's Milton, also- Milton, that's the character's name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm going to set the building on fire. Yeah. And he's also in Dodgeball, which you know he was hilarious in as well. So there you go. Comedy <laughs> and drama, he does both equally well. Yeah, he's great. He's great. Your list doesn't have Judge Reardon from Justified in it because he was <laughs> right. in like every season. <laughs> yeah, that that quality of an actor, and they have him being cringer, which you know should be pretty interesting. Once again, not being not not having having a working cringer was like the little um, like fluffy. He was a good guy, wasn't he? Yeah, he was the pet that looked kind of like a, a panther or something like that, and he would become Battle Cat when He-Man would zap him with the yeah. Okay, that's it. All right, all right. He was his mouth, and, and like the name cringer. He's a bit cowardly when he's by himself, but when he gets zapped into Battle Cat, suddenly he's an ass kicker. As Battle Cat, he's Scrappy Doo, and as Cringer, he's Scooby Doo, right? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And okay, <laughs> who, who knows if he's doubling as Battle Cat? If Battle Cat has lines, well, there you go. He can do the comedy as Cringer, and he can be the badass as Battle Cat. There you go. See, I didn't even know that Cringer spoke, so that tells you what. what, what <laughs> there's the end of my knowledge on He Man, right? Uh, Diedrich Bader, uh, very accomplished in the voiceover world it's like if it's not kevin conroy and it's not uh, jason mara as batman it's probably Diedrich bader 
An- another man in the High Castle uh, alumnus. And Diedrich Bonner is another Office Space alumnus. Wow, there's some crossover here. <laughs> he was Brad- Batman Brave and the Bold, which I actually right. – I actually like. I mean, it gave us the Music Meister, which was, uh, you know, completed, completely made for the show, but then made it, it made it into the to the Flareoverse, but mm-hmm. was originally created by by Neil Patrick Harris, and was just perfect in that animated series as that, you know. But I, right. uh, Diedrich Bonner to me will always be the guy from Napoleon Dynamite that's trying to teach Napoleon's brother Rich yes. Quando. <laughs> and before that, in the a feature film version of Beverly Hillbillies, which I will still fight to this day, uh, that if you're going to remake casting Jim Varney as Jed was, you, you couldn't have done a, a possible better cast than that. I'll say it right now. One of my guilty pleasures are all the earnest movies. Mm-hmm. And Jim Varney is just one of those guys that's on the list of seven out of 10. I'm yeah. sorry. He is. And right. it's, it's, you don't understand if you're not a Southerner. I was around when he was, uh, a southern-based comedian who was doing local advertisements for all these different markets in the South for you know car dealerships and uh, he did one here in South Carolina for Duke Power that was hilarious. Oh, here's your problem right here. This wire, it's got <laughs> in it. Did he let's <laughs> yeah. go? <laughs> right. I mean, I'll, and and you know, I mean, for a lot of people, he'll always be rem- Jim Varney will always be remembered as the voice of Slinky Dog, right? You know, in the Toy Story, and and, and I thought it was really classy. That when he passed, sadly, that they just never brought Slinky Dog back. And I think they brought him back, but he just didn't speak anymore. You know, I was like, well, that's cool. Right. Don't even try to replace him because if Arnie had – he just had one of those voices you can't really replicate, can you? Right, right. Uh, but Diedrich Bader in the Beverly Hillbillies, I think he was Jethro because I remember he said that thing of it. He was. Took, yeah, it he only was. took him like four years to pass the fourth grade or something like that, and he was proud of that. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? He was proud of that. <laughs> and once again, if you're gonna re- if you're gonna recast Max Bear, who like only thing he ever did was was Beverly Hillbillies, right? <laughs> right. Uh, Griffin Newman as Orko, Triclops, who of course had three different faces that he could put on. That's Henry Rollins. Yes, that Henry Rollins. <laughs> oh, I, I can <laughs> Which, believe that Henry Rollins is, is is. I don't know if he if you would call what he does stand up comedy. It's more of just oratory. He's more mm-hmm. just a storyteller. He's freaking hilarious, dude. Oh, and a very intelligent man. You see him when he's interviewed. Oh, God, yes. Yeah. Our listeners all know that I'm Iron Maiden is my favorite band. I'm up the Irons, man. That's all I'll be a maidenhead till the day I die. I'm that a devout Iron Maiden fan, and he has a bit he does. It's about 10 minutes long about when Black Flag, when he was the lead singer of Black Flag, and them opening up for Iron Maiden and how the fan, the fans turned on them quickly is one of the funniest things I've ever heard in my life. You know, And he's just completely ripping Iron Maiden and Iron Maiden fans, which I am one of, and I'm still laughing. So there you go, right? <laughs> right. Which is usually followed by his story of the first time he met David Lee Roth and Eddie Van Halen, which is also hilarious you know <laughs> hey what's up man he's like damn die dave david lee roth that's exactly what you think he is <laughs> yeah. okay griffin newman i looked it up he's arthur mm-hmm. in the amazon tick series and tiffany smith kind of bringing things full circle she was actually in deep blue sea so there we oh, go. okay so we're back to samuel L. jackson <laughs> <laughs> right what i mentioned before about the original skeletor that's alan oppenheimer and he is going to be moss man which will be pretty interesting Susan Eisenberg, who we best remember as Wonder Woman in the mm-hmm. Justice League animated series, she's going to be Sorceress. Uh, Alicia Silverstone as Queen Marlena. One, another one that you knew just came because he's best friends with Kevin Smith and is everything he does, as he should be, and that's Jason Mewes as Stinkor. 
you know, he's best known well, to me. Would, in the, he's the Jay in Jane Silent Bob. So yeah. is is it is, is yeah? Can it be a Kevin Smith production without Jason Mewes in it at some point? Mm-hmm. Phil Lamar, who was John Stewart in the Justice League, but he's also done on-screen acting as well in Mad TV, and he recently played John Jones's brother in Supergirl. Right. Uh, he's going to be Hero, who is He Man's son. Right. Now, if you go back to our sister podcast that I host, Examining the Dead, and listen to our episode where we we create our, our all-time great zombie fighting team, you know, the team you want if you want to survive the zombie apocalypse, mm-hmm. uh, one of my picks was a character from the, the zombie video game Dead Island named Sam B, who is a rapper. He voices him as well. Doesn't do the rapping. The rapping's actually a chameleonaire and a guy named Joseph J7 Lord from Atlanta. But, you know, he does the talking <laughs> part, not the rapping part. But anyway. It's good that you brought up horror because Tony Todd is going to be Scare Glow. Now, oh, anything I, he does bad guy, he's just got that great voice for it. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't recall a Scare Glow from the original series, but I, I can only assume from the name that it's some variant on like a glowing skeleton or something like that. I would think. You know, for those who don't know Tony Todd... Uh, my first question would be, where have you been? Uh, Candyman from the Candyman horror franchise. Or if you don't know him from that, you would probably know him from the Final Destination franchise. He plays the mortician that's essentially the – he's the exposition guy where they always show up and he's the one – you know, the, the catchphrase for that franchise is death always finds a way. He's the one that says that line. Dol- tall, distinguished black gentleman. Perfect mm-hmm. voice for any evil character. I think you can agree with that. Right. Absolutely. Another – voice that's good for evil kevin michael richardson he's done just about everything under the sun but he's also probably i don't know about best known but for the mid-2000s teenage ninja turtle series he was shredder in that some of our other listeners might remember him as the joker from the batman animated series the one that um yeah, the, that, the one where uh, Joker looked like he could have uh, played a spot in in the band Twisted or something like that, right? Right. He has yeah, he has bare feet with the spats over him and the and the dreads. It's a very different take on the Joker. Uh, all I remember about that series was it had that awesome theme song that uh, Edge of U two wrote. You know, right, right. And Edge has such a distinctive tone and chordal progression to his playing. It's kind of obvious it's an Edge pin song. You know, <laughs> right. A name we all know and love, Kevin Conroy, as we mentioned before about Batman. He is going to be Merman. And rounding out the cast, it's only really notable because it is legitimately Kevin Smith's daughter. But Harley Quinn Smith, yes, Kevin Smith actually named his daughter Harley Quinn. And well, she's not going Jim Cornette be... and his dog Harley Quinn. Why can't Kevin name his daughter <laughs> Right. And she will be Helena, who I believe is also royalty. Uh, I think she's a... Uh, I want to say, like she's the 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 princess to Adam's prince. If if I want to say, I'm just I'm doing that from so like, memory. Like 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 his kid sister, maybe. Right, right. Or I don't know, maybe potential love interest. But I always kind of thought that'd be Tila. But but now now now, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, he's from the planet Eternia, and they're mm-hmm. ruled by a, a a king, and he's not the king yet. His father's the king. Right. Uh, king Randor would be. The King, and I thought I saw that name on here. Oh, yeah, that's also going to be Diedrich Bader. Okay, so he'll probably channel the more serious Batman right, voices right. for that rather than Trap. We're, we're not, we're not going to hear Rex Kwando in that. that <laughs> right. <laughs> Rex Kwando, that's underrated movie, ladies and gentlemen. No, another cult classic, Napoleon Dynamite. I told you, we talk about a lot of them on this podcast. Right. 
Now, the only character name on that list that I was hoping to see would be Ram Man, because he was my favorite side character, because I loved his gimmick. He would just run in with his head tucked down and ram into things. Well, see the action figure that had, like, a flat head, top of his mm-hmm. head, and had the spring-loaded legs so we could do the ram action. Exactly. Kind of like the Kung, yeah. like the Kung Fu. Yeah. I remember right. when my cousins were playing with him and they explained him. Of course, I was too cool for school because I was older than them. My first thought was much like that man at arms. How stupid is that? <laughs> but <laughs> as an adult, I look at it and go, that's pretty funny. <laughs> Especially since the perfect thing you could do. I mean, he's the type of character you'd expect Diedrich Bader to play because right. you can totally go with the joke of all he does is ram things with his head. So after a few thousand rammings, he, uh, okay, boss, you know it. <laughs> Maybe that's why he's not in it with all the things with CTE we got going on nowadays. Maybe that's not a good character to include anymore. <laughs> I mean, all you guys get young boys putting their heads down and running head first into the wall. <laughs> right. But, I mean, really, me being a fan of voice actors, there's only a few names that you could ask for, but... It'd almost be kind of spoiling because this, this is such an amazing cast. I mean, sure, there, you know, I mean, guys like Frank Welker or Peter Cullen and such. But, I mean, this really is like a who's who as far as a voice cast. Well, you got people like Kevin Conroy, Mark Hamill, uh, Michael uh, Richardson. Those are those are a, Susan Eisenberg. Those are mm-hmm. Phil Lamar. Those are A-list voice actors. And, and I'm saying this from a guy who enjoys – I'm not the big voice acting nerd you are. But I watch a lot of animated movies and I play a lot of video games. And that's where those type people – find their work you know right right i mean i would put them in the same class of if you know video game was a nolan north you know which of course is a voice acting guy you know nolan north of course yeah and i think he's in the avengers the avengers game coming up is he yeah you know i'm sure kevin had a thumb in this but it almost sounds like uh what's romano i was Anne romano the one who does the the Anne romano's one day at a time (laughs) right yeah andrea andrea (laughs) romano andrea romano the the, the long time voice casting act uh director for uh all the dc animated stuff it sounds like she had a th- uh, her thumb in this a little bit no well, could be i mean i was surprised if kevin had just went to her and said hey who do you right. suggest yeah yeah exactly what i was gonna say because i remember uh her saying in one of her interviews that she's won so many awards and so many uh, uh i guess it was emmys uh, she's won so many emmys that she started to dress them up in in doll clothes <laughs> so- <laughs> I think John Williams, who did that with his Oscar collection. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, Nolan North is actually Tony Stark in the upcoming Avengers uh, video game. So good casting there. That's, that's yeah. I mean, I love Nolan North, but at the end of the day, when I read, uh, he's done it. When I read Iron Man comics now, I hear RDJ's voice. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it kind of works against the game, I think, because I think that's where some of the flat, uh, negative feedback is. But uh, that's a story for... Uh, another, another podcast day. yeah i i didn't even know it was coming out until i saw a trailer for it the other day i mean you're talking about the one that seems to be focused heavily on 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 the kamala khan miss marvel yeah yeah and it, it's an original story it's not mcu so you know that's why it ah. doesn't have the known actors in it well and plus plus are you gonna pay rdj or bradley cooper or vin diesel or any of these other great actors that played along you you're you gonna be able to afford them for a small animated film i would say probably not right but that's going to bring us to the end of this episode of Geekville Radio. If you like what you heard, we are available on all podcast players or the podcatcher of your choice. You name it. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, you name it. Just do a search for Geekville, you'll find us. That's also the website, geekvilleradio.com, as well as the 
social media on Facebook and Twitter, Geekville Radio. Uh, drop us a line. Give us a review on the podcaster of your choice. And Train, if they want to drop a line to you uh, about really anything we talked about here, where can they find you? Always available on Twitter at crazytrain underscore JB. Like I said, if you didn't like what I said, come at me. <laughs> All right, we're going to shut down the power here in the Geekville Radio studios, and we'll be back uh, very soon with our next episode of Geekville Radio. Geekville Radio is not sponsored or endorsed by any product or company unless specifically stated. The views expressed by the host and or guests are purely their own and do not represent the views of geekvilleradio.com, a1-wrestling.com, or any affiliates. Some media used on Geekville Radio is the respective copyright of its publishers, all rights reserved. I'm going to keep track of episodes because I'm positive. I just can't wait for Stinkor to say, Snoochie Boochies. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be Jason Mewes if you didn't. <laughs> right. <laughs>